going on, everybody? Rob Doster here, and welcome back to another episode of Top Dogs UConn Husky Basketball Podcast on the field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster. Got a fun episode on the way for you today. I was joined by longtime UConn beat writer, one of the best uh, covering the Huskies, and Dave Borges of the New Haven Register, my hometown newspaper, as well as ctinsider.com. And then what we're going to do at the end of this is we recorded last night the Big East preview for uh, the field of 68 after dark. I was joined by John Fanta, Laval Jordan, former Butler head coach, and former Syracuse point guard Scoop Jardine. We break down uh, the entire conference, but I'm going to take the section where we talked about the UConn Huskies and drop that in at the end of this podcast feed, uh, mostly just because I think that it's an interesting and insightful conversation. Laval coached in the Big East for four years. So he has some very direct experience in playing uh, against the Huskies. And I thought that there were some interesting points that he made that I'm going to talk about um, here before I get into that interview with Dave. Um, But first and foremost, just a couple of programming notes. Make sure if you want to pick up the best preview that you can get for the college basketball 2022-23 season, it's the Almanac. It's $19.99. You can purchase a digital copy in the link below, uh, 600,000 words. 814 pages. We spoke with every single one of the 363 Division I head coaches in college basketball this season, put together 1,300 words on each and every team. Look, here's the best advice I can give you. If you are a fan of gambling, if you like to go to betrivers.com and bet on college basketball, this is the best way for you to be profitable at the start of the season. And the best edge that you can get against books like Bet Rivers is early on in the season when they just don't have the bandwidth to be able to properly identify who is good and who is not good among the lower uh, 265 teams in college in uh, Division One college basketball. So the best way to get prepared for that, make a little bit of money, uh, you could probably make it all back what you spend that 1999 on the almanac by winning one twenty dollar bet at Bet Rivers. Uh, so that's definitely something that you want to pay attention to. Um, I also want you guys, please to go subscribe to the Field of 68 Daily. It is also in the link in the description below. That is our daily newsletter. You get it in your inbox, 8.30 every morning, Monday through Friday. It's the best way to keep up on college basketball. It's the best way to stay up to date on everything that is happening in a sport that has 80 high major teams and 363 Division I members. Uh, So there's the Beehive link below that comes to your email inbox every single morning. It's the best way to keep up with it so please do that we put a lot of work and a lot of effort into building that thing out and i think that it is uh it's something that you guys will enjoy if you subscribe so uh two things that i wanted to touch on um from talking with laval and and getting his kind of opinions on this uconn team the first is uh the value that rj cole provided in end of game situations right in close situations where you kind of you knew what was coming if you were if you were playing against UConn, right? They were going to try to find a way to get RJ Cole coming off a ball screen. And if that didn't work in an end-of-game situation, they were going to give him the rock and let him go and let him go try to make a play and let him go try to win a game. There's a reason why he was cold-blooded. Um, so there's, there's a couple things here that I want to unpack. The first is that there is no guy for UConn this year. They don't have that one player that you can give the ball to and know – You're going to try to get him fouled. He's going to probably get a good shot. He's going to make a good decision whether or not that works out. Who knows? But they don't have one guy, which can be a benefit and it can be a detriment. Um, It means that there is not anyone that is great, right? You're not going to have an option that is as good as RJ was. But it also means it's a little bit more unpredictable for the defense. 
you knew what was coming, right? You were going to hope that you could stop RJ Cole. Some teams did. Villanova didn't. Um, that that's that's that is the that's one way to look at it. But I think with this group, you could it could be a situation where you have Jordan Hawkins running off of a running off of a pin down. You could have Jordan Hawkins getting put into an isolation. You could put Andre Jackson into a ball screen. You could try to find a way to have a bunch of false motion that creates an opportunity with three shooters around Adama Sonogo, who is ducking in and getting a seal where he can try to just turn and lay the ball in over his left shoulder. Um, it's something where you can kind of create an open side and isolation for someone like a Sandiara, who I think might be the best guy when it comes to getting to the rim for this group. Um, the same thing with, with someone like an Andre Jackson, if you can get a situation where you could scheme away for him to get a lane to the basket and all he needs is one dribble and a head of steam, and he's going to go try to dunk on somebody or in Andre's case, probably try to finger roll it over them at the rim. Um, that's something that you can do as well. There are a lot of options for the ways that you can create offense for UConn this year. There's no great option, but sometimes having a lot of options where you are unpredictable uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. So it's going to be different, but I, I'm not super worried about that at this point. I am like that's. I think that's one of the concerns for this team in a conference where close games are going to determine who's the, who's second and who's fifth. Uh, but it's not something where I uh, I stay awake at night being worried. Um, the other point that he made that I thought was really interesting is that so much of what UConn did last year was the result and the byproduct of having someone like a Tyrese Martin, having someone like Isaiah Whaley at the three and the four, even situations where you're playing Andre Jackson at the two with those three, you have three guys that are really, really big and strong and athletic and powerful when it comes to getting downhill. Now, on the one hand, I think there's just no way that UConn's going to be able to play the same way. Yeah, I mean, Tyrese Martin was the was is the NBA player coming out of the Big East last season. He's gone, right? Th that you're just not going to replace that by bringing in a freshman and Alex Caravan or hoping that that Samson Johnson figures it out. You just don't replace what Tyrese Martin brought. It's not what happens. Um, I think that when you look at Dan Hurley's best teams at Rhode Island, and when you think about the way that he wants to play in an ideal world, having more skilled guys. Wings that are that tend to so the way that I view it is this: you have the wing spectrum, right? There are guys that are going to be more oriented toward being guards on the wing spectrum, and there are going to be guys that are more oriented towards being uh, bigs on the wing spectrum. I think Tyrese and Isaiah were both more big wings, right? Whereas guys like Naheem Aline and guys like Jordan Hawkins and guys like Andre Jackson, I think you might even be able to make a little bit of an argument. Guys like Alex Caravan tend to trend towards being guard wings a little bit more. I think you could even put Tristan Newton into that conversation as well. So I think what we're going to see are pieces that can still be switchable defensively, guys that are still going to be able to kind of play two through four. It's just that now they're going to be a little bit more skilled on the perimeter. You're going to be able to create more space for Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon at the five. You're going to be able to have um, more players that can make threes and force defenses to come out and guard them. There's going to be more driving lanes for someone like um, for someone like Andre Jackson, for someone like Asan Diar. I, I think that the build of this roster is going to be a little bit different, and it tends to lean a little bit more into what the ideal roster is for a coach like Danny Hurley. At the same time, if you really want to – look, if Samson Johnson is going to play the way that, that all the buzz 
from his uh, the secret scrimmage performance. Um, if he's going to play like that and he can kind of fill the role that Isaiah Whaley had, like you could just slot him into the four right there. And all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at something really similar to what they were last season. Uh, there has been some discussion about the possibility of Adama playing at the same time as Donovan Klingon. I don't know if I would necessarily recommend that, but the possibility is there. And if you do that, I mean, you're probably getting uh, 35 offensive rebounds per game. So um, I, I guess the long and short of it is this. You knew what UConn was going to be last year. There was no depth. It was going to be RJ Cole first, Tyrese Martin second, Adama Sonogo third, and then two or three guys that you kind of filled in the gaps around them and hope for the best. Um, this year, there are probably nine guys, maybe 10, depending on how you view Joey Calcaterra, that can really provide minutes for this group. So there's going to be times when the best lineup is going to have Samson at the four. There's going to be times where the best lineup is when Andre Jackson is sitting out and you have Asan Diara, um, Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins, and Alex Caravan out there at the same time, right? There's going to be different looks where you can not have a drop-off. And I think that there's value in that because you're, again, you're more unpredictable. So you're not going to have these superstars. You're not going to have these studs necessarily that you did last season. Um, let me rephrase that. You're not going to have the guys that were studs last season, but you still have the opportunity to have those studs. Adama's going to take a step forward. Uh, Jordan Hawkins needs to take a step forward if they're going to be good enough. So um, there's a lot of ways that you can skin a cat more or less with this team. And I think that that provides some value for a team that runs as much intricate stuff as UConn does. So I'm excited to see what they can end up being. Um, I, I, they're, I think they're going to very much be in the, in the race to win um, a big East uh, tournament title. I don't, I think Creighton's probably the best team in the big East. And I think that's probably pretty clear barring any injuries, but I think UConn is going to be right there for second place. I think there's also a chance they could end up finishing fifth or sixth with a 12 and eight record or an 11, nine record in the conference, if things don't break their way in some close games, but the bottom line is this, they're probably going to be a tournament. They, they should be a tournament team again this season. And, you know, as long as they're a top six seed and they have a chance to win a game, I'm happy with it because they can always make that run. So uh, without further ado, uh, I think we're going to throw it to the interview with Dave Borges here. And then afterwards, you're going to be hearing from me and Fanta Laval and Scoop Jardine trying to put together what in the world this UConn team is going to be this season in the Big East. We're dropping our merch. We got to start calling Underwood Daddy Brad. But I'm a big odd guy. Breaking news. The Field of 68 has an online store, and it's your one-stop shop for the latest and greatest merch in college basketball and college football. You can find shirts to support your favorite team, make fun of your rival team, or boast Field of 68 catchphrases like Daddy Brad, Cussing and Discussing, and the Star Heels. Go to www.fieldof68.shop today and enter promo code TOUCHDOWN for 20% off at checkout. Now, let me welcome onto the show a longtime beat writer covering the UConn men's basketball team, Dave Borges from my hometown newspaper, the New Haven Register, and ctinsider.com. Dave, what's going on, man? Appreciate you being here. Yeah, good to be here, Rob. Good time. Good to talk to you. So, before we get into this specific team, I'm always curious. You know, a, a job, the job of a beat writer, I think, is more difficult than a lot of people realize. You kind of got to balance 
being critical and being honest with uh, being able to get access and get people on the phone and get people to respond to a text message, right? So for you, when you've been doing this job for, I think you've been on the beat for 16 years, right? For for UConn? First year was 0708. So what's that? Is this the 16th year? Jeez. We don't, yeah. we don't need to do the math. We'll just put it out there a while. Um, but so how do you, how do you kind of balance that? How do you, how do you uh, navigate being honest and being critical when you need to with, you know, not pissing anybody off? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and the thing is with Dan Hurley, he's very cognizant of the balance there and he'll, uh, you know, he can cut you off a little bit if he's not happy with you. So um, it is a balance, but, at the end of the day, what you really just have to do is be honest and, and write what you honestly think. And I think that UConn has a chance to be a very good team this year, but I'm not 100% there yet because we just a lot of unknowns and things like that. You just got to be honest. Um, and really, I don't think I've ever written anything that I wouldn't say to him to his face, you know. Um, so if you're honest with him, and that's one thing with Jim Calhoun. He always, even guys he, he, he fought with, he respected you if you worked hard. And if you were honest, or at least what he thought was honest, um, and uh, so that—that's really what kind of what, my, what I what I try to do is just is just uh, have a good rapport with, with Dan and the coaching staff. But I, I think, and I think they understand that at times they'll be criticized, and I have to do that as well. Yeah, I think as long as you are fair, right? As long as you're not making personal cheap shots as long as you are you know if the, if you shoot two for twenty seven from three as a team and you come out here and say hey three point shooting is a problem. I mean, it is right. You're just stating a fact. So uh, I think it, it, it's as long as you kind of navigate that, right. As long as you're not getting into like the personal and taking cheap shots and that kind of thing, I think is the way to, is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. No question. And it's tougher with, you know, when you deal with college kids, some people might disagree with me about this I mean, they're on scholarship. Now they even have NIL and all that kind of stuff, but they're still kids for the most part. You know, obviously sometimes they can get to be some of the 22, 23 year olds, but, um, it's a little different when you deal with college kids and, and criticizing them. All right. You know, a kid has a terrible shooting night. Are you going to rip them like you would maybe an NBA guy or a professional athlete? Um, I, I think it's a little bit different as far as that goes, but by the same token, they are public figures. They are, um, you know, sort of the pro team of Connecticut. And uh, you know, you can't, you can't lie and say that they're playing well when they're not. So it, it's, 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 a, it is a tricky balance, but um, it's kind of fun to be on your toes like that, you know? So one one thing that I've noticed um, is that that coaching staff, the UConn staff, they see everything. Nothing nothing is uh, is is off their radar. They I don't know if it's they read everything. I don't know if they have a GA that is just there searching Twitter for UConn and trying to find everything that's written. But um, they might even be listening to this right now. Uh, but what I found is that while there, I'm assuming there's probably times where Hurley is cussing you or cussing me out to that staff. It doesn't really like come out in the press conferences, right? He's always you know, the screaming is saved for uh, for the sidelines or for the referees or for probably for practice. It seems very kind of reserved and uh, almost nonchalant when he's in front of the media, when he knows he's on the record. Is that something is that have you gotten that sense, too? Yeah, he's. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, there have been times when I've written something that I thought he might not have liked. And in fact, was told by people he didn't like. But you never would have guessed it during the, uh, the group um, media uh, availability. Um, the one time that it was clearly evident was uh, that during during the pandemic year when everything was Zoom, uh, post-game, uh, I'll make a long story short, Adama Sinogo kind of said something to the effect of that he he, he was early didn't play him the last, like, maybe 10 minutes of a game against St. John's when, when Adama had been dominating. But 
Hurley didn't play in the last eight, 10 minutes because he didn't think the matchup was right. The St. John's went small and all that. Adama didn't play. They lost the game at home. I asked Adama if he kind of wished he had been there, in there. And he said, uh, he, he said, yeah, I, wish I should have been in the game at the end. But he didn't say it in a way that was really critical. I tweeted something out. I kind of tweeted the first part of his quote out. And, of course, UConn Twitter picked it up, and all of a sudden, Adama's going to transfer and all this. That's not what I meant. I should have treated, I should have waited and transcribed the whole thing. Dan wasn't happy, and I felt that for a while on the next few uh, Zoom calls. And I won't get into exactly what happened, but it was it was it was wasn't great. But I I did call and apologize to him, and I think he that meant a lot to him as well. Yeah, have you? Uh, so you got the end of the Calhoun era, right? Did you ever get cussed out by him? Because if anyone could cuss you out, I think Jim Calhoun is probably top five on that list all time. Yeah, I, I kind of caught a kinder, gentler Calhoun. Um, once or twice, he would reference something I wrote, but didn't actually name me. And I just kind of, you know, said something, you know, this someone, so-and-so wrote uh, this, and he obviously disagreed with it. But, no, he never, he never like, my, my former colleague Dave Solomon, of course, infamously uh, was in, on the uh, wrong side of the Ryan Gomes press conference. Um, I was there at that conference uh, covering, I was covering Providence at the time, actually. But I didn't, and I didn't even know Dave at the time. But um, I never got a Ryan Gomes thing there. I never got, uh, I saw a few rants directed at, um, you know, the not, a, not, not one dime back rant. I was there for that as well, but it wasn't directed to me. So no, I, Jim was a little mellower in those years that I caught him. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I was spared that. Can you imagine what both of those press conferences would have been like in the in the Twitter era, in the viral media era? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, even, you know, Cal, the, the Ryan Gomes thing kind of went viral before things could go viral. I remember it was, you know, I don't know if it was ESPN radio was playing it constantly and people kind of knew about it. Um, that became a big thing. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's a different era now. It's it's uh, it'd be interesting to see how that would that would pan out. Yeah, it's amazing. Something from 15 years ago is still a meme that uh, that if I if I happen to reference it, then everybody understands what uh, the point that I'm making and the joke that I'm trying to make. Um, all right. So I want to switch gears a little bit. You did have an interesting piece this week. Hurley talked, uh, I guess, a little bit about the pressure that he's feeling and the pressure that he's under um, in terms of, you know, he's been here. I think this is year five, right? He still hasn't won a tournament game. Uh, when you are at UConn, there is a level of expectation that even if you are a seven seed, you probably need to find a way to win a national title because that's just what we do at UConn, right? So um, uh, can you just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what he was saying, that piece that you wrote in the uh, in the register this week? Yeah, you know, the, the thing that I've kind of heard so often um, from UConn fans just around kind of my hometown or, or where I live now and um, certainly on Twitter and social media and things like that, it, it's, you know, UConn needs to needs to get out of the first round of the NCAA tournament. That, that's like that's like one thing that's a real common thing that a lot of people seem to be talking about before the season even starts. And uh, you know, two first round exits in a row just doesn't cut it at UConn. So I I wanted to ask Dan about that and talk about you know you talk about balancing the um, straddling the line with being a beat writer but also asking tough questions. You know, that was kind of a question that he might not have wanted to be asked, but I just felt it was something that had to be asked. And he gave a really good answer to it. He he. He said that, yes, uh, there is pressure on him and his staff, and they'll feel it, especially come Selection Sunday, you know, assuming, as we all do, that they will be uh, in the tournament this year. Um, they'll feel it. His thing is that he doesn't want, he doesn't think his players will feel the pressure because most of them weren't involved with the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, Adama and Andre Jackson were, and 
Richie Springs was on the roster, and you know, even, even Jordan Hawkins was. You know, as far as a lot of the both years, those are the only guys really that were uh, key members of the team were Adama and, and Jackson. So he thinks with a lot of the new guys coming in and guys who really haven't felt that pressure the last two years, that maybe they won't be able to more on the coaching staff. But he 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 admits it. He he'll feel it, and he knows that he's got to produce. And not not that his job's in jeopardy. That's not what I was trying to get get to either. He's not going to be even on the hot seat. But he'll hear it more from fans, and um, the pressure will intensify if he doesn't, uh, you know, get out of the first round. And when I say win a game, I mean get out of the first round and, and you know, hopefully for UConn fans, win more than one game. Yeah, there's a there's a certain segment of the fan base that seems very upset that he hasn't won a game while ignoring the fact that he took over a program that was under 500 in the AAC, right? And he hasn't rebuilt it by just going and getting one and done. So he's kind of rebuilt it by – developing a program and trying to build a culture and trying to get guys that stay two, three, four years and, and turn into uh, players that are more than just guys that are on campus for eight months. Right. So um, I think there's all, if you're at UConn, there's always going to be pressure to win in, in March. Cause that's just kind of what the level of expectation is. And that's how we value. Uh, that's how they value um, success at a program that has four national titles. So there's always going to be pressure there, but anything beyond that, in my opinion, Dave, I think that's like, it's just a little bit unfair um, to say, hey, you've gotten this team back to where they're consistently in the top 25, even after they lose two of their top three scores. But just because you happen to run into a guy that – what did Teddy Buckets get in the tournament last year? I think 37. 38, 37, 38. Yeah. You run Let's into see. a guy that goes nuts in, in a first-round game and then next game shoots like two for 19. Like it just – it's March. That's why we love March. It happens. It is what it is. Right, and I agree with that. With everything you said, he's done a very good job with the program. The flip side is, though, you know – New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. I mean, UConn's not supposed to lose to New Mexico State. They were, especially since they were the um, UConn was the better seed, and and, and they were the higher seed against Maryland as well. Um, too bad, you know. And, and and the defense really let them down against you know, like you said, Teddy Allen going nuts. Some of the shots were crazy, but there were some bad fouls. There was some poor defense, and and the team was just seemed exasperated at that point. It seemed really teams really seemed beat down as well. And you know, you can. Uh, you know they they got they haven't beat Creighton yet since Dan's yeah. been here. Uh, they beat Villanova once, and uh, Dan wasn't on the sidelines for, that, <laughs> for half that one. So I, their record against some of the better teams in the Big East over the last few years hasn't been great. So everything you said is right. He's done a great job turning this program around. I mean, and it was a tough job, and he's done a terrific job. But I guess the way to put it maybe is that he's a long way from finished. Yeah, I guess my biggest point is that the the marker of this program trending in the right direction is not one game in the NCAA tournament. It's the fact that it, they keep getting better. They keep getting more relevant. They keep getting higher seeds in the tournament. They keep being better throughout the, the regular season. And as long as the growth keeps going that way, things are going to happen more. That, that's just kind of the way that I view everything when it comes to college basketball. Um, I want to, I want to ask you this, because I think it's so important given the discussion we're having, it, it's balancing expectations right to me the baseline for this team this season should be they got to be a top 25 team right for most of the season they probably need a top six seed in the tournament and like win a game and if they if that happens and you know adding a biggies tournament title would be nice picking up a win over Creighton at home that'd be really nice too but to me it's as long as that growth keeps going that direction and if that's what the season ends up being that's where you kind of say okay we're it's still still trending the right way where do you kind of see the baseline for what this group should be? Yeah, I would say um, all those things. I, I would, and you mentioned, 
Big East tournament. I, I think that's a big thing with Dan. I think he really wants to um, winning a win, winning a Big East title is important to him. Which of course it's it'll be important to any coach, but that would mean a lot to him. Um, not saying obviously more than getting to the Elite Eight, Final Four, or anything like that. But uh, it's it's kind of like maybe it's maybe sort of that's the, sort of the next step, I guess, um, is to get to that Big East championship game on a Saturday night and uh, and 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 win. Uh, and, and, and you know. So I think you got to add that to something that, and he 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 really does put that as, as a key goal to start the season. He he has a team really focused on that, and I wonder sometimes maybe if he um, overdoes that a little bit, and, and once they get there, they're a little um, you know they're, they're a little intimidated by by what they need to do or what he wants them to do. But I think uh, yeah, Big East winning a Big East regular season and or uh, tournament championship is is would be a huge next step for this program. Yeah, there's just something nostalgic about. UConn playing in Madison Square Garden on a Friday night or a Saturday night uh, in in March. It's just it, it feels like that's what it should be. So I'm I'm one. I'm very glad that UConn is back, and two, it's just it's it, that that's kind of what we need to see. All right, uh, a couple more questions about this group. Um, what what do you think is the key to the season? Like, if there's one thing that needs to go well for UConn to be able to say, hey, look, you know what, we're a top 15 team, we're a top four seed, we have a chance to win uh, the Big East regular season title. What is it to you? I think there's a few things, but the one thing that stands out the most to me is, is Jordan Hawkins because they are really putting their eggs in his basket as the guy who's going to be sort of like their their top offensive or at least their top offensive perimeter player. I, I think they really expect him to be a guy who can score 14, 15, 16 a game, um, shoot 38 to 40% from three, uh, be a first-round NBA draft pick, which Dan is on record as saying he believes he will be at the end of the season. And uh, if he is, that would mean he he did have a big year. They need him to step up. They lost a lot of production with R.J. Cole and Tyrese Martin and even to a lesser degree offensively, Isaiah Whaley and Tyler Polly. Um, Jordan Hawkins is huge, in my opinion, to be to, to kind of emerge as just a, a superstar and, and make a really big jump from 5.8 a game and 33% three-point shooting. But um, I think he can do it. And there are other keys, too. Point guard play, you know, trick uh, – uh, um, why well, is Kristen Newton? Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't been talked about a lot this uh, off season, so that's big. Can can he come in and, and be a, a real good? Um, you know what they do at point is big, but to answer your question, to me the number one thing is Jordan Hawkins. Yeah, I, I think it's Jordan Hawkins and what Andre Jackson can kind of turn into if the point guard range are kind of uh, handed to him, um, especially now that he's dealing with the uh, is it a pinky, a thumb? He's got a broken pinky. something, a pinky, broken digit yeah. somewhere. Um, I saw you, uh, you, you wrote about the scrimmage that they, was it the blue and white scrimmage that they had? Was it the, the seat the? no, it was, it was, it was actually the secret scrimmage, the secret scrimmage. Right. And then Jordan Hawkins and Samson kind of stood out. Samson is a guy, no one that's really talking about him, but if he can find a way to tap into that potential that he has, that could be a uh, difference maker for this, this program. Well, talking to Dan and, and he didn't get into specifics about the scrimmage because you know, can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, but speaking sort of in code, uh, he, he did mention those are the two guys who played really well. And Dan really seemed, he seemed, you could almost sense it, how excited he was about those two guys uh, talking how well they played in that game. No, didn't give any statistics or we don't know what, exactly what happened, how they shot the ball or anything like that. But um, you could tell he was excited by what those two guys did in that secret scrimmage and really in, in practices, in recent practices as well. Uh, Samson getting a little more of a load with, with Andre Jackson's injury. Um, 
sounds like he's certainly very much in the running to to possibly being their their starting foreman this season. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be him or Caravan, I think. Um, Unless I go about, small. What have you heard about Alex? Uh, I've heard good things as well. He he sat out the scrimmage, uh, sprained ankle. Uh, I don't think it's anything that's going to keep him out too long. Now, that the blue-white thing you mentioned is um, is going to be on uh, Wednesday, this, November 2nd. So they're thinking that Caravan probably will be back for that. And if so, they'll kind of have uh, sort of an inter-squad scrimmage. Um, we can kind of get a look at the guys uh, for me the first time for – Local B riders, I'll be the first time, and I won't get into that right now. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. Um, but yeah, Caravan is impressed, and he, the kick can shoot. Now, can he? Can a can a, essentially a freshman jump into the Big East and have it be, make a big mark? We'll see. But um, they they do like Caravan as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, the expectation for him the 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 bar should be you know he's someone that plays twenty five minutes makes a bunch of shots that that space the floor and just kind of is in the right place at the right times. If you're expecting him to come in and be like a one and done average 14 and eight and shoot 49% from like, that's just not the role that he's going to be asked to play, but have him come be a switchable piece that spaces the floor and does the right things and keeps the ball moving. That's that's there. He can do that. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell you another key too. this season is Donovan Klingon, local mm-hmm. kid, seven foot two. Can he be a, a, a serviceable backup to Adama? A guy can play maybe 10, 12 minutes at least, um, grab, block some shots, score a few points, grab some rebounds, give Adama a, a breather, which may be the most important thing. Dan said they may share the court as well. We'll see about that. Um, but with with Adama, kind of, they, they want to move Adama out away from the basket a little bit. Um, and maybe they can play a little high low there. We'll see. Um, but uh, I think D- Donovan's, uh, Donovan's a key there too. And it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to going from High, you know, public high school, Connecticut high school basketball, straight to the Big East. But he, he's got the talent to do it. When was the last time that UConn had a guy that was from the state of Connecticut that was like this highly regarded? I know that there have been players that have, you know, Tyler Olander is the one that immediately comes to mind. But he was not. There, there was a big difference between landing Tyler Olander and landing Donovan Klingon. Well, Andre Drummond, Drummond, obviously, yeah, um, from Middletown, Connecticut. He would be the one, um, you know, everyone knew he's probably a one and done, ended up being a lottery pick, ended up being a better NBA player than he was in college for his, mm-hmm. for his freshman year. But, uh, yeah, Andre Jumbo, before him, uh, geez, um, and this would be predate my time as well, but uh, do, you, do you go back all the way to Chris Smith? Is there anyone in between there? I think Marcus Cox, right? And then he ended up transferring out. Was he Colby Cathedral? Where was he from? I think, I'm yeah, pretty sure he's Colby Cathedral in Bridgeport. Right. I mean, you had Craig Austry, but he was kind of a, True, a role yeah. player. Um, Rashamel Jones. Wasn't Rashamel Jones from yeah. Stanford, maybe? Might be making that up. I can't believe I forgot Andre Drummond. That's uh, that's pretty bad. I got to be better than that, Dave. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. He did grow up. He, didn't, he, almost, he moved to Connecticut when he was like eight years old. So he's not a native Connecticut guy. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm trying, we'll I'm trying to throw you We'll, we'll, we'll claim him. He's talented. We'll claim yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, man, I appreciate the time. Uh, if you are a UConn fan and you're not subscribed to the New Haven Register or ctinsider.com, you are doing it wrong. You're not going to be getting Dave's coverage. I already referenced two stories that he wrote uh, on this podcast today, so make sure you go and subscribe there. Dave, appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Yeah, great talking to you, Rob. Thank you. And you guys do a real good job, too, with your, with your uh, Field of 68 there. Appreciate it. Hey, we want to tell you about the Almanac. 
It is the best way to get ready for college basketball season. In-depth previews on every single program in the country. No matter the conference, Bobby D's got it. He's got the paper copy. You can get your copy, thealmanac.gumroad.com. Folks, $19.99. And you did our Big East preview? I did do the Big East preview. Of course. Who else would they let do a Big East preview? Well, then guess what? I'm going to have you answer this question. Okay. So, so if Creighton's won, who's their biggest challenger? Who's the biggest challenger to the Blue Jays? Oh no! Oh, <laughs> yes, I thought I thought you would never ask, Fanta. I thought you would never ask. Look, Adama Sonogo was the best big guy in this conference. Okay. I know. I, I know what I just said about Ryan. Kalk- I know. I'm about to say. <laughs> I know what I just said about Ryan Kalkbrenner. But in terms of proven production, there is nobody that is better than what um, Adama Sonogo has done in that league. They have him some depth this year. Donovan Klinging is coming off the bench. I can give you 12 to 14 minutes a night. I think that's going to be huge for, for Sonogo's legs. I think what we saw down the stretch of the season, he got a little bit more tired. They brought in a whole bunch of transfers that can do the jobs that they're going to be asked to do. Right To me, if UConn's going to have an actual chance to win this league, Laval, I'm really curious what you think about this. They need Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins to take significant steps. I'm talking like Jordan Hawkins, first team all big East. I'm talking Andre Jackson ended up being a second round pick. Like if those two guys take those steps, then you're looking at a team that's going to have three or four guys with length and athleticism and shooting ability around the best low post score in the conference there. I think they're going to be really, really good. If, if those two guys take a lead. Yeah. Sonogo's proven, you know, leading rebounder, um, one of the top scorers. I think you're, you know, the, the thing that'll be interesting, there's a lot of new faces in the league. And so the transfers, um, you know, I look at, and again, I went up against Scoop, Scoop's guy. I heard him say his name earlier, RJ Cole, you know, and this is going to be the question for a lot of the teams in, in the Big East. I got the cold-blooded tee on underneath, the jersey. Yeah, the so cold-blooded t-shirt on underneath. You are <laughs> down the stretch. In the last two and a half minutes of the game, you know, do we know where we're going? And, and I think, and they knew RJ. Everybody knew where it was going with Connecticut. Everybody knew where it was going with Villanova. So now, you know, yes, Sonogo's really, really good, but I don't know how often it, it's going to a big guy. So it's probably going to be a guy. So if Jordan Hawkins, um, you know, Andre Jackson, he developed, shot it better last year. You know, Jordan was he's a scorer coming off the bench, but again, point guard play. <laughs> So we're yeah. going to come back to this. Like, who who is that? Because I, I mean, they. I think they're going to try to make it be Andre Jackson. I, I don't know if Tristan Newton is necessarily the guy that's going to come in for RJ Cole and replace mm-hmm. anywhere near that production, right? They like the uh, the Diara kid, the transfer from Texas A&M. Yeah. But to me, he's more of like a change of pace guy, like yeah. someone you bring in to kind of get out and transition, give you a little bit of a different look. I think it's got to be Andre Jackson. To me, their best five, Andre Jackson, Naheem Aline, the transfer coming in from Virginia Tech. Uh, Jordan Hawkins, Alex Caraban, who I, th- I mean, I think he's going to be really – I think he's going to shoot at like 40% from three, average like eight and six, a couple assists, be in the right spot defensively. Those four around Adama Sonogo, you got a lot of length and athleticism out there, three guys that can make shots, and someone that at least in theory and Andre Jackson can pick out a pass. Now, sometimes that pass is going into the ninth row, right? That's the big <laughs> thing with him. And and is is Tristan Newton, you know, the other transfer? Like, is he a? Can he help facilitate? Um, 
because right. and here's the other my other the other thing with connect because I think they they're talented and they have all but coach Hurley defensively like don't minimize the loss of Robert Whaley defensively I mean that's where their bread is buttered now they're going to be physical defensive minded and all over the backboards and that right. was you know Robert Whaley to a T um, so that piece is gone and it'll be more skilled with a guy like Caravan but but coach is going to sub you out if you're not guarding the way he wants to guard. The sure. scoop, scoop, mm-hmm. scoop, I don't know. They're playing, they're playing zones. So I don't know if they got subbed out if they missed the slides, but I know Hurley, like <laughs> guys aren't covering their assignments. Like, you know, that they, um, you know, they're going to sit for a few. And so can they definitely have the defensive yeah. prowess that they've had the last few years? Cause that's what it really made their impact. Scoop. What do you think of UConn? I like them. I'm, I'm, I agree with you, uh, Rob, again. I like the enthusiasm. I think they're really good. I like the kid Joey. The, what's the, the kid named Joey? Uh, forget his Calcaterra. last name. Calcaterra. Yeah, Calcaterra. Yeah, I think he he had all all of the the guys that's coming back have a chance to really like prove themselves. This here's year. the here's the thing with UConn. Okay, you know that Sonogo is the focal point. The big yeah. For for Connecticut, when they hit a three, it feels like six. Because they're just wired that way. It's going to be a street fight. Last year, when they were rolling, they were straight up bullying teams, night in, night out. And and it was two hours of hell for certain teams around the Big East because you just don't have a way to combat the physicality and then when they're getting perimeter shot making. And I'm going to tell you what, guys. Now, John. The main main guy behind that was Tyrese Martin. I was just gonna say that personnel was built to bully you. You got Whaley built and to bully. And, They're and not RJ. built that way. They're those not necessarily built that way. Yeah, go ahead, Laval. No, you have Whaley and Martin and RJ, and those three are they're dogs now. And they were built they were built to play that way. Right. So right. One, thing, one thing I would say to that is I think that Hurley wants more. Last year was more like he had three or four forwards around RJ Cole, right? And I think right. The, the ideal team for him is more three or four big guards around a post. Does that make sense? Like, I, I think if you look at Whaley, you look at Martin, they're kind of guys that are going to make open shot, get an offensive rebound, or they're driving to the rim straight line. Whereas now you got Jordan Hawkins, who in theory, you can run him off screens. You could put him in ISOs. You can do different things with him. Um, I think Alex Caravan is more of a guy that is uh, catch and shoot keeps the ball moving. It's going to, it's going to flow a little better with him out there. And Andre Jackson, if he's the guy on the ball, you know, I, I think it's, it's looks different, even though you have guys that are similar size, but I think this, this group is built a little bit more similar to what Hurley wants. The only problem, I think it's RJ Cole, man. Like he just, he he was such a killer in big moments. He was look at the win over Villanova. Look at so many other big moments. The, the, the thing is, here's where I agree with you, Rob. I thought that by virtue of their style last year, as as Rob is a great father as well, he's he's playing the role of day. I, was that? Are your kids in agreement with you on UConn? They've also got UConn this year. Yeah, they're all they're, they're all in. They're all in. They're all in. They're out there doing the UConn chant right now. Of course they are. <laughs> the the interesting thing to me, and I think Hurley saw this down the stretch last year. They were so reliant on Cole that then fatigue plays an issue, and mm-hmm. and you just wear down. I feel like in the offseason, you get Aline, you get Newton, you get DR. Like, they loaded up on just different guards who can do different things to not have it be on one sole guy, on top of what Hawkins and Jackson bring to the table. So 
it's going to be interesting to see with, with UConn if these pieces can all mesh into place. But I don't think there's any bigger factor, guys, than Jordan Hawkins taking the, the leap that's predicted. Because, frankly, last mm-hmm. year we only saw limited flashes of it. And the way they're talking this year, they're talking about him being one of the 10 best players in the Big East Conference. That is a seismic leap in a tough league to make. It just is, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. John and Scoop, you know, Scoop's play, he, he knows this. Like Jordan Hawkins, I'm looking, like he played 15 minutes a game last year. And obviously everybody's expecting that to increase this year. But the thing he has and is Bobby, you know, Coach Hurley, they're going to run – some pretty intricate sets and they're going to run a lot of them. So now if you're a first year guy coming into the program, this was the value of transfer sitting for a year. They could learn the system on the sit out year. Right. Now you're going to come in and pick all of this up. So Jordan already knows the system in in terms of where his shots are coming from, you know, how to get open. He, 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 he's done it. He watched Tyler Poley do it and he watched Tyrese Martin do it. Like he's been in it. And so he's got an advantage there because he knows the system. Um, and that's a huge thing, right, right, Scoop? Especially when you know it, for sure.